and of some have compassion, making a difference. Now it really does boil down to that, compassion. The people in this world who have compassion for others are the same people that have the potential of making a difference. How much value do you place on your soul? How much value is your soul to you? If someone were to offer you, let's say, 10 grand in exchange for your soul, would you accept? With that money, you can buy a whole ton of gadgets. You can buy the new iPhone 14. I know Pastor Steven just left. He hates the iPhone, but the iPhone 14, nice-looking phone. You can buy uh, a mirrorless camera, Andre. You can buy a bunch of new gadgets with 10 grand. Would you cash your soul in for 10 grand? Most of us would probably say no. Now how about a hundred grand? A hundred grand, with that money, you could buy and fully pay off a deluxe vehicle. You can buy one of those nice vehicles that you see on the street, and when they pass by, you see, ooh, that looks beautiful. You can buy one. With a hundred grand, you can buy a deluxe vehicle. Would you do it? Would you trade in your soul for a hundred grand? Some of you might probably still say no. How about a million dollars? With that money, you can buy a large house. Not in Surrey, <laughs> not in Surrey, but you can move somewhere else and you can buy a large piece of property. A property where your, 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 your family can grow together, they'll have enough space to run around. Is your soul worth more than a mansion? Now, some of you still believe that the soul is more valuable than a million dollars. How about a billion dollars? Would you trade in your soul if someone were to give you a billion dollars? That's a lot of zeros. I'll probably never see that many zeros in my life. With that much money, being a billionaire, anything that this world has to offer is yours to partake in. With that much money, you can buy anything you want, you can do anything you want to do. So, would you cash in your soul for a billion dollars? Now, a good amount of this world's population would accept that offer in a heartbeat. If you take a random person on the street and tell them to give their soul in exchange for a billion dollars, they'll happily agree to it. Because in their mind, they want the, the luxuries of this world. They want money. They would figuratively sell their souls if it meant they would be a billion dollars richer. But is there a price tag to our soul? How valuable is the human soul? And the Bible has something to say regarding this topic, and it is our key passage for tonight. So you're there at Matthew 16. May I ask you all to stand as we read these three verses. And we'll start in verse 24, and then we'll read all the way to verse 26. So verse 24, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You may be seated. There's a poignant question there. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It implies that the man's soul, a man's soul, is more important than even owning everything there is to own in this world. That's how important a soul is. Unfortunately, in our world, it happens quite often. People set out to gain the whole world, but in the process, lose themselves, lose their livelihoods. Since Pastor White isn't here, i got to speak up for him. The lottery. Now, whenever Pastor White talks about the lottery, at, at, the, he kept talking about all of the people who fell victim to winning the lottery. And at first, I was a non-believer. I was like, is there, is there really such a, are there really that many people in the world who win the lottery and then their life falls apart afterwards? But you do a quick search online and dozens and dozens and dozens of cases of people winning the lottery and their lives getting derailed are out there online for you to read. These people, they win millions and millions of dollars and theoretically, that money should have been able to solve all of their problems. They thought that it would solve all of their problems in their life. But what happens? It accomplishes the opposite. The once healthy relationships they had with their spouse, now it's a tug of war. How much money can I get from, my, from this guy? They don't even see each other as husbands and wives anymore. They're all just trying to uh, make use of their marriage to get as much money. In many cases, these winners go broke. Some get into crippling debt. And in many cases as well, it resulted in the winners either taking their own lives and committing suicide because of how much stress they were under, or they got murdered for the amount of money they had. They gained the whole world, you could say. They were millionaires, they were billionaires, but they lost their own soul. A soul is more valuable than anything there is in this world. Now, it is important for us to understand the value of one soul, as well as to see how one soul can greatly impact our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful ones who are able to, who, who took the time and sacrifice to attend your, your house tonight. I pray, Lord, that as I preach your message, that you would be with me, give me power, and give me just uh, boldness as well as I preach your word. And I pray that you would touch, uh, touch the heart of those listening. And I know that you've touched my heart upon, uh, as I wrote this, uh, this message, but I pray that you would do the same for those in the congregation tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So my, the first of my two points tonight is this. Every soul is important to God. Every soul, every single soul is important to God. Now we ourselves, we have a habit of placing different values upon the lives of other people, depending on how much they mean to us. For example, in, in our eyes, the people that hold the greatest value are our family members whether it's our mom, dad, our siblings, our son, our daughter, 
in our eyes, those people, our family, hold the greatest value to us. And on the other hand, the ones that we deem of, that have no, la- uh, no value or little value are, for example, those who are guilty criminals, murderers, thieves, rapists. In our eyes, they are of little value. Some would even go, go to say that they're worthless. Logically, that also makes sense. We place values on people depending on how we perceive them. Naturally, this has led to some interesting discussions in the topic of ethics. A situation often brought up in, when we talk about ethics and morality, a situation often brought up is this. Would you rather save 10 people? Would you rather save 10 people or would you rather save one person? Numerically speaking, it makes sense you would want to save the 10 people. You are saving more lives that way. Why would you save one when you can save 10? But always in the topic of ethics, this, they modify the question. Supposing that one person was that one that you love the most in the world, whoever it is, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your son, maybe it's your daughter, would you rather save 10 strangers or would you rather save the, love, the, the person that you love the most in this world? Now it gets quite difficult. Are you valuing how many people you can save? Or are you going to save the person that means the most to you? It's an ethical dilemma. What is the right decision? We place different values on people. And we act accordingly depending on how we see and perceive others. There are souls in our eyes that are more important than others. Which makes sense. No matter how hard we fight against it, we will find some lives more important to us than other lives. But the good news is, God is not like us. God isn't like us. To Him, every soul matters. Every single soul in this universe matters to the Lord. Turn with me to 2 Peter 3, and we see this principle shown and displayed 2 Peter 3. And look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that... Who? What's the word there? But that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire is for all men in this world to come to repentance. God is not willing for any man or any woman, any child or any senior to perish in hell for all eternity. That is the goodness of God. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants every single person in this world to accept the gift of salvation and to repent. You know, good thing that humanity, good thing we're not the ones in charge of deciding who is and who isn't worthy of salvation. Imagine that. We see that a lot in media today. Supposing a person had the, the, the abilities and the powers of a God, how would they use it? And oftentimes we see their, their humanity skew their judgments. At first they start killing off the criminals. And then they start killing off the people who annoy them. 
And it devolves. It, their, their judgment degenerates over time. And it's, good, it's a good thing that we're not the ones in charge of getting to decide who lives and who doesn't live because we would mess it up royally. Our biases, our personal vendettas, our personal opinions will skew our judgment on who gets to be saved or not. Many of us, if we were playing the role of a God, we would only offer salvation to the good citizens of the world. But the criminals, they can die. Those rapists, those pedophiles, they can die. They don't need, any, they don't need salvation. They can suffer for all of their lives because that's our flesh speaking. But what does God want? He wants all to come to repentance. Every soul is important to God. The thieves, the crooks, the criminals, the dregs of society, all of those people, God values as well. In God's impartiality, He has offered the gift of salvation to all men. It doesn't matter who, if they accept uh, Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they're, they're saved. So what? What does this mean for us? If it is God's desire for all men to come to repentance, and He is impartial in His offering of, the, of His salvation, shouldn't we, God's children, have that same mindset? In Philippians 2.5 it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was impartial in how He delivered the gospel. He gave it to all who was willing to listen, despite their backgrounds, despite their occupations. We often pick and choose who is worthy of hearing the gospel. We look at, a, 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 at some individuals and we say, oh, that person, if I were to share the gospel with them, 100% they would reject me. Now that person, that, that guy right there with the tattoos, with the biker jacket, it looks like he's in a biker gang. The moment I, I talk to him, I know he'll curse at me. That girl over there, the moment I give the gospel to them, I, I just know she's going to mock me. I just know she's going to ridicule me. And so we make these assumptions immediately based on what a person looks like. And in, do, and in so doing, in our minds, we decide who is and who isn't worthy of the gospel. And that's why a lot of times we choose to not give the gospel to someone because we let our, our judgment on that person dictate our decision. We are not impartial. Is that truly the action of someone who values every soul? If we are picking and choosing who we give the gospel to, is that really the, the action of a person who believes that God is desiring for all men to come to repentance? Because that is the value of one. The value of one soul is, is far more valuable than anything else in this world. And God realizes that. If Jesus Christ was here today, you know what, it doesn't matter if that person was wearing a biker jacket and he had tattoos all across his arm. He doesn't care about that girl who has maybe, uh, maybe wearing immodest clothing. He doesn't care about what the person's outward appearance would look like. No matter what they would look like, Jesus Christ, if he lived today, would walk up to that person and give the gospel to them. He did that back then. It's not, it's not un unheard of for him to do that today. He was impartial in his witness. He was impartial in how he shared the gospel to others because he understood that every soul is important to God and that every soul needs to come to repentance, ought to come to repentance.
Now, it's hard to disregard our internal judgments because no matter where you grew up in, the way, because based on your, your living situations, you grow up with certain prejudices. Maybe it's your culture. Maybe your culture is, has a prejudice against another race. And we have these biases when we grow up. And sometimes it's hard to ignore that and disregard it. But we have to do our best to do so. We have to learn to sow the seeds of the gospel without bias. And it's very difficult to do so. But I think it begins with us realizing that God desires every soul to come to repentance. That every soul is worthy of coming to repentance. And the second point here is one soul makes all the difference. Turn with me to Romans 5. One soul makes all all the difference. So in the first point, we see that every soul is important to God. And in my last point, one soul makes all the difference. We understand that in the biblical narrative, both the fall of man and the redemption of man was centered around one person, around one soul. Romans 5.12 is where we'll read first. Romans 5.12 and then verse 16. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, who is this one man that introduced sin into the world? It was Adam. Adam, Adam disobeyed in the Garden of Eden, and he introduced spiritual death into, the, into our universe. But look, at, with, look with me in verse 16. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. It's true that because of one man's actions, physical and spiritual death was introduced into our world. It was because Adam and Eve disobeyed and chose to eat of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat of. Now we have in the world grief, we have sadness, we have hurt, we have pain, we have loss. We have great wickedness today because of that initial uh, uh, disobedience of Adam and Eve. The, the actions of one man's caused ripples in history. But to contrast that, we also, because of one man's perfect obedience, we are saved from, from having to experience an eternity in hell. He lived perfectly, perfectly obeyed the Father unto his death. He submitted himself and he paid for our sins with his blood and the actions of that one man, and the fact that he was able to resurrect three days later and conquering death, the actions of that one man was able to offer salvation to the rest of humanity. So in in the first instance, we have Adam. His actions, his lone actions, was able to cause and introduce pain into the world, spiritual and physical death. But because of God's, because of Jesus' actions, he was able to offer salvation for all humanity, past, present, and future. That is the the amount of impact one individual can make. One person can make a significant impact for humanity, either for its detriment or for its benefit. Jude 22, one of my favorite verses, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Now it really does boil down to that, compassion. 
The people in this world who have compassion for others are the same people that have the potential of making a difference. The cold-hearted individual who cares about nobody else except for his own, he's not going to make a difference. He's not going to make a difference in anybody's life. Sure, he might improve his own uh, situation. He might rise up and become one of the richest men in the world. But he's not going to influence other people, and he's not going to make a difference in other people's lives. It is those who have compassion that have the ability to do so. Even more, the compassion of one man can make a difference for generations to come. Such was the case with a man named Edward Kimball. Now, with a show of hands, who here knows and has heard of the, the man named Edward Kimball? Anybody, has anybody heard of this man? Edward Kimball. Nobody has heard of this uh, faithful Christian man. Now I have a snippet here of why Edward Kimball is so significant to us. It says, Edward Kimball wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preaching evangelist either. He was a dry goods salesman who agreed to teach a Sunday school class of teenage boys. So he's not even in full-time ministry. He's just a Sunday school class teacher. He volunteered himself to be the teacher of teenage boys for Sunday school. And within that Sunday school class was a young man named Dwight. Kimball, Edward Kimball, wasn't content just to see these boys once a week in his class. So he got to know their interests. He got to know their backgrounds. He got to know each of these Sunday school students. But he felt especially burdened for a very lost Dwight. So he determined to visit him at the shoe store where he worked. He was feeling this tug of the Spirit to tell Dwight what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Kimball's fears flared up at the door as he thought of reasons not to pursue his mission. And this is something that we can relate to. Right when we're about to give the gospel to somebody, our fears flare up. And because we think about the fears, uh, we think about the, the discomfort, we, we withdraw. We withdraw from our mission of sharing the gospel to them. And we same with Edward Kimball. His fears flared up. However, he decided to, to continue, and he found the young Dwight in the back rooms of the shoe store. Later, Kimball would say that I simply told him of Christ's love for him, and the love Christ wanted in return. And there in the back room of that shoe store, Dwight experienced that love for himself. In subsequent years, Dwight would share that Calvary love, that gospel, with multitudes across America and beyond. And the world will know him as the leading evangelist of the 19th century, D.L. Moody. But Edward Kimball's impact does not end there because he was able, because he was able to lead D.L. Moody to Christ, a man named F.B. Meyer was led to the Lord. Because of Meyer's ministry, a man named J. Wilbur Chapman came to Christ. And all of these are Christian men who served in full time in some capacity. Because of J. Wilbur Chapman's ministry, a man named Billy Sunday was led to Christ. 
Because of Billy Sunday's ministry, a man named Mordecai Ham was led to, led to Christ. And because of Mordecai Ham's preaching, a man named Billy Graham was led to Christ. D.L. Moody, F.B. Meyer, J. Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham, Billy Graham, some are more famous than the others, but these six men had powerful ministries of their own. God used their work and their ministries to lead ultimately millions of people to Christ. And many more millions had the opportunity of hearing the gospel for the first time and maybe the last time because of these six men's ministries. And guess what? All of the souls that were saved in these six men's works and mission efforts will be added to Edward Kimball's account. As I've just asked you, if, if anybody knew who Edward Kimball was, not a single person raised their hand because he's not well-known in history. He was, a, he was just a Sunday school teacher. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't a missionary to the lost. But he was just a Sunday school teacher who had compassion on his students. He knew that they were headed to hell. He knew that they were destined to, go to, to suffer hell for all eternity. He had compassion on them. And his compassion resulted in the salvation of D.L. Moody and in subsequent generations, you see this line of great men getting saved ultimately because of a Sunday school teacher's influence. Do you see how an act of compassion can make a difference in history? How many people would not be saved today because these six men were not, if, 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 this, if these six men were not saved? How many men would have not heard the gospel? And again, it traces all the way back to Edward Kimball's initial act of compassion, and he showed it to D.L. Moody. Folks, this is not a once in a millennium event. This is not something that just happens once in history and will never happen again, because this domino effect still happens today. You can take this picture down. One of our missionaries to Uganda, his name is Brother Caleb Turner. Recently, and I think the beginning of the year, uh, January 2022, in the, new in the new region that he ministered at, he was able to lead his first convert there. And that was his language teacher named Lois. He had a lot of uh, time to minister and sow seeds in the region that he was in, but the only person that was willing to hear him out and hear the gospel was this language teacher named Lois, and she came to Christ in February, or January, February 2022. After Lois accepted Christ as her Savior, this woman showed incredible zeal and passion immediately. She started witnessing to all the other people that she knew. In the latest update that I received from Brother Caleb Turner, in just a couple of months that she has been saved, she was able to lead her mother, her daughter, her sister, three of her friends, and her two nephews to Christ. Eight souls came to Christ because Brother Caleb had compassion towards the people of Uganda. Because he had compassion on his language teacher named Lois. Eight people ultimately was led to Christ through her connections. There is nobody in this room 
that does not have an unsaved loved one or an unsaved friend. And when we willingly ignore their need for salvation, we are failing to be compassionate towards them. Even if you are only ever able to lead one person to Christ, understand that you still made an eternal difference in one person's life. Before, all that awaited that person was death and perpetual suffering and agony. Some descriptions of hell that we find in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 it says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. For all, of, for all eternity, these people who end up in this place are forever separated from God's presence with no hope of ever being reconciled with God the Father. Think about that. An eternity that they'll never have the opportunity to meet and reconcile with their Creator. Everlasting destruction. In Matthew 13, 50, it says, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That is the condition, the situation that the people in hell have to go through. The pain is so agonizing that they wail all the night long. They gnash their teeth because that is the only comfort they can get there. Revelations 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. This is the condition of those who abide in hell. Again, think about the people in your life who are unsaved. If you truly understand how frightening hell is, then won't you try your hardest to pull others out of that eternal fire? You would do your utmost if you, if you really truly understood how fearsome hell was. You would put in the effort of rescuing your unsaved loved ones from that fate. That is what compassion is. You understand that that is their destiny and in compassion you make a difference. You pull them out of that fire. Don't feel that you are useless or that you have not accomplished much simply because you've only led one or two or three people to Christ. Because at the end of the day, you played a part in changing their eternal trajectory. You know what? Not every Christian will make a, will make a ripple in history like D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday or Billy Graham. Not everybody in this room will have the opportunity to preach to a, a stadium of millions. But you know what? We don't have to. Because like Edward Kimball, all of us here can make an eternal difference in one person's life. But the first step in doing so is to be willing and desiring to reach even just one for Christ. I'll give you a second to think. Who in your life that you are extremely close with is still unsaved? Maybe somebody in your household Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter. 
Is it your best friend at school? Is it your best friend at work, at the workplace? Is it your mentor? Who in your life right now that you are extremely close with is still unsaved, remain unsaved? Maybe you've already witnessed to them and they've rejected it. But maybe worse, you've never witnessed to them yet. You've never tried to witness to them yet. How would you feel tomorrow morning if that person that you love so much just up and passes away, has a heart attack at night, never get to talk to them again, never get to hug them again, you never get to just have fun with them again, and you never get to preach the gospel or communicate the gospel to them ever again. I think the reason why so many are so lax in soul winning is because the reality of hell is not that real to us. We don't care to pull others out of the fire because in our own minds, sometimes we don't think the fire is real. We have to understand that we may be the only ones that our friends will ever meet, that our family will ever meet, who carries the message of the gospel. When we go on and move on in our lives, maybe they'll never ever meet another person, another, another Christian person in their life. And their opportunity to get saved maybe is gone because you chose to withdraw and not give the gospel to them. You may be the only one that can witness that loved one that you're thinking of right now. Last passage we turn to, and then I'm going to finish up here. Romans chapter 10. And then let's read this verse out loud together. Romans 10, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I mean, it's a pretty simple and direct question. How shall they hear without a preacher? We know that the only way to salvation, to get saved, is to call upon the name of the Lord, to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. But if the people around us, that the only Christian they know is us, if we choose to withhold that truth to them, then they'll never know the truth. And they'll move on in eternity, never having been exposed to the truth because we chose to keep it to ourselves. How can we ever make a difference in other people's lives if we always choose to stay silent? If we constantly choose to never extend the message of the gospel to them? How can you make a difference that way? How shall they hear without a preacher, preacher, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? One song that I really love to listen to and even sing is titled, Just One More Soul. 
It's a very encouraging song. And it's a charge at the end of the day. It's a charge to the Christian. And I particularly like its first verse and chorus. And this song goes like this. And Brother Lance, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Sorry. Glenn, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not, I'm not Pastor White. He has the courage and the boldness to sing the song. But I'm just going to read the lyrics for you. It says, The preachers are weary. The singers are tired. The church as we know it is losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the load, but we must determine to keep pressing on. Because if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it will be worth every struggle. It will be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. At its core, soul winning and evangelism is a heartbreaking ministry. It's a ministry that is filled with rejection. There's, there's never anything, you're not going to do anything else in your life that, will, that you will find yourself getting rejected more than soul winning and evangelism. There will be more people rejecting you than accepting the message that you're extending to them. But don't let that commonality dishearten you from evangelism. Keep at it. Because if you are able to make an impact on even just one more soul, then it would have been worth all the time, effort, and tears that you have, that you have given in evangelism and soul winning. And again, I, I full-heartedly believe that when one person gets saved on earth, they throw a great celebration there in heaven. Another name has been added to the book of life. There will be great rejoicing in heaven. We have to keep at it. Understand the importance of one's soul because this is the value of one. Let's close our eyes for a word of prayer and I'll be calling up Pastor Tim to... Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.